Well, hello there. Good morning. Welcome to the Story Church. I'm glad you're here live in the Museum District. Some of you are joining us at our Timber Grove campus right now. We love y'all at Timber Grove. Don't we love our Timber Grove campus? We love our Timber Grove campus. We love you guys, and thank you for... Uh, being a part of the story this morning. Also, our online campus is here, and, and that's why you see the guys with cameras uh, running around. And, and, and the whole point of having the cameras in the room is to make sure people tuning in online are, feel as much a part of this as we can make them feel. Because wherever you are in the world, if you're tuning in um, via the web, you're part of our community in some way or another, and, and we love you and we thank you for joining us. Be sure to comment in the comment section of whatever platform you're tuning in from. Let us know uh, where you're tuning in from. We'd love to say hello. All right, so uh, today's message, let's get into it. You've got a study guide here, guys. Uh, this is um, intended to get you through this message and keep you tracking with me here. We are in the middle of a series. So today's conversation is part four of a six-part series of conversations about the problem of pain. Pain is something we all can relate to. We've all experienced pain. But what we've discovered through this series is that there are different kinds of pain that affect us in very specific kinds of ways. And overcoming those different kinds of pain takes, takes some different strategies. And so, so far we've, we've talked about the pain of betrayal or the pain that we call agony. We talked about the pain of abandonment last week. Pastor Dylan, or uh, Pastor, it's the first time I've ever called him Pastor. Is he here? Uh, Minister Dylan, I don't know. Dylan preached about um, abandonment last Sunday. He's our student uh, ministry coordinator. He did a great job. And, uh, and Kale preached the same at, uh, at Timber Grove. So, uh, so today we're going we're gonna to go another level deeper. This is a hard one, y'all. It's a hard to write sermon. It's going to be a hard to hear sermon, but it's one we all need to hear, I think. We're going to talk about the specific kind of pain that comes with cruelty. Cruelty. Have you ever, ever experienced the cruelty of someone else? Maybe you've, you've been cruel to someone else. And being cruel isn't just being mean. There's an added layer here that's important for us to uncover. Cruelty is defined this way. It is the callous indifference to or pleasure in causing pain and suffering. So the purpose of cruelty isn't just to hurt you. It's to humiliate you. You'll know someone is being cruel to you when they're not just causing pain. They want to, they want to ruin you. And, and rob you of your self-worth. So that's what we're talking about, that level. And, and one reason we're talking about this brand of, of pain is because this brand of pain can be especially demoralizing even when you just see it happening to others. How many of you see cruelty happening in the world and go, my God, what is happening in this world? Like, what hope do we have? Or maybe when people have been cruel to you, you felt that especially. All right, so I think the Christian worldview has something unique and, and important to offer to us, something that is different from other religions and different from other secular worldviews, for sure. And we're going to talk about how, how Christians should uh, overcome, can overcome cruelty and the humiliation it causes. So there is this relationship between cruelty and humiliation that we, I want you to sort of hold on to today and, and think about um, with me, um, because uh, in order to be cruel, truly cruel, someone has to learn to ignore the humanity of others. 
there's all kinds of psychological books written about this, this phenomenon. But if you think about the most cruel um, things that have ever happened in the world, in your history books, think about what the Nazis did to the Jews, and you'll find them calling Jews animals, vermin, roaches. Because the human mind and soul are not intrinsically wired for that level of cruelty. We must take an extra step of dehumanizing the other. And only after dehumanizing the other can we be cruel toward them. And so the same is true in the transatlantic slave trade. You know, you had Catholic missionaries coming over and justifying slavery by saying, you know, these African men and women aren't human like us. They're sort of beasts of burden, soulless beasts of burden, to quote one actual Catholic missionary in the 17th century. You have to do that in order to, to be fully cruel, truly cruel to other human beings. And, uh, and, and this is why it can be so demoralizing. Now, <clears throat> if anyone's ever been cruel to you, to humiliate you, they've done so by taking, trying to take your humanity away. And if they succeeded, I want you to ask why. Why and how did they succeed at that endeavor? How did they steal that most sacred part of you? How did they humiliate you with their cruelty? And how can Jesus help you to prepare for that level of cruelty the next time around? All right. So we've all experienced cruelty on some level. I'll be honest. I've had a mostly charmed life. This is not something that I have a lot of personal experience with, but yeah, I've, I've taken my lumps here and there with cruel people. I remember a couple of silly examples. I remember falling for a girl in college, and she wasn't just mean to me. She was cruel to me because when I decided to pursue her, she called it stalking, but I just called it pursuing. I don't know. She, <laughs> she I mean, potato, potato. You know, it's like, I don't know. I was 18, I'd never courted a girl before. I was smitten with her. She, instead of treating me like a human and just telling me I'm not interested in you, she called security <laughs> and maybe a couple of professors. It was really, really not cool, Pastor Gio. Not cool of you to do that to me when we were both 18. And eventually, I'm glad to say, eventually she warmed up to my pursuits. She even started enjoying it a little. This is Pastor Gio at 18 years of age. And she had uh, eventually seen my charm and uh, given me my humanity back. <laughs> I think that as a pastor, sometimes people are just cruel to you because they, they have pain. They have pain uh, and they direct it at pastors because maybe pastors or church people hurt them in their past, maybe their recent past. And so sometimes, man, I'll just see comments online about myself. I'll just be like, what? You don't even know me, and, and, and you come after me like this. And sometimes even on my own sermon videos on YouTube, people will hop into the YouTube comments and just spread all their cruelty around. Like this one time a few years ago, this guy hopped into the YouTube channel, and, and a, on, a, on a video in one of my sermons, he said, and I quote, I'm just asking, were Eric and Rachel Maddow separated at birth? And that one got me. That one hit me really hard. I'm still recovering. I don't see the resemblance. I didn't think it was necessary, but <laughs> took me a minute to bounce back from that one, all right? 
Now, um, <laughs> uh, I've experienced deeper kinds of cruelty too, uh, you know, the more serious kinds that probably came to mind for you when I asked you earlier if you've experienced cruelty. And my hunch is that many of you have. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And the good news is um, we who follow Jesus um, are not alone in our pain. That Jesus really does show us not only how to uh, survive something like cruelty and humiliation, but how to overcome it, how to be victorious over it. And uh, the truth is, there's no such thing as senseless suffering when you're with Jesus. There is, in most other paths people take, a kind of senseless suffering that we endure, but not with Jesus, never. There is no such thing as pain in vain for people following Jesus. And I don't mean that, you know, it's all just some pre-written story and we just, we have to suffer because Jesus, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying whether or not the, the pain and cruelty you experience in this life are God's good and perfect will for your life, and I don't think that always is the case. I think we live in a fallen world, a cruel world. And even then, in those instances when someone does something against God's will to you, Jesus and only Jesus is a God who comes alongside of you and says, I know that it hurts. Let me show you the way. Only Jesus, as an as a all-powerful deity, comes alongside his believers and says, I know it hurts. I know it's hard to make sense of this, but come, follow me, and I'll show you how. And friends, I'm going to tell you something that I hope you take home with you today. Um, if, you, if you don't take anything else home, I hope you know that once you learn to handle humiliation, you're free. You cannot control the actions of others and how cruel they might be, but once you learn how to respond to other people's cruelty, that's what freedom looks like. That's what Jesus shows us. We're going to look at this story. Every, every part of this series is a, another glimpse into the suffering Jesus endured on his way to the cross because we're on our way to Holy Week now, right? A few weeks out. Let's look at Matthew chapter 27. If you've got a Bible with you, and if you're in this room, you do. It's right in front of you in the chair backs. And Matthew is one of the four gospels in the New Testament. And we're gonna start in verse 27 of chapter 27. And this is immediately after Jesus's trial when he was found guilty of crimes that he didn't commit. Verse 27, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And sometimes in the movies that we see about Jesus's torture, we see maybe a dozen soldiers having their laughs with Jesus at his expense. The whole company of soldiers was way more than a dozen. There were 700 Roman soldiers assigned to the Judean province at that time. Now, I'm not saying all 700 gathered. They were not all on duty at the same time, but you can imagine hundreds of soldiers surrounding Jesus to shame him and to inflict unimaginable pain. So they stripped him. He was naked. They stripped him naked, and then they put a scarlet robe on him. Scarlet was the royal color, color that kings wore. And they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him. And they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes. And they led him away to crucify him. 
Most of you probably know the ancient Romans had a penchant for cruelty. They were uniquely cruel as a civilization. So sometimes we hear this story of Jesus's passion and, and the, the cruelty and, and torment that he faced, and we think that it only happened to Jesus. Don't let your mind rewrite history, okay? So the, the, the uniqueness of this story isn't what happened to Jesus. It's just that it happened to Jesus. So, so Rome did this all the time. Historians have, have tried to estimate exactly how many people were crucified per day throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, and I've seen estimates upwards of 500 people a day throughout the empire. This was a daily reality. And every single um, victim or uh, someone who was convicted of a crime on death row, right? Every one of them in Jesus's place was tormented and tor tortured to some degree. That was not a bug, but a feature in the Roman machine. It's how they did it on purpose because it was meant not only to humiliate this criminal, but it was also meant to intimidate this criminal's friends and to deter crime. This was Pax Romana in action. Okay, so th this, this stuff that happened to Jesus didn't happen exactly the same way to everyone, but they went after everyone's perceived vulnerabilities. And Jesus had said he was a king, so they treated him like one, right? Like a, like a defeated, demoralized, worthless king of a worthless people. They mocked him, right? So they dressed him up like a king with this scarlet robe and, and, and the crown of thorns. And if, you're, if you've ever seen a head wound or maybe parents in the room know this, like a head wound bleeds like no other wound bleeds. And so you can imagine Jesus's blood soaking his own hair and face and in his eyes. And, and that was his crown. And then they put a staff in his hand like a king's scepter. What was that staff? Well, later in the story, we saw that it was the same staff that they used to beat their subjects with. It was probably a, a large stalk of bamboo. This was what they commonly used. The Romans commonly used this. So they put a staff in his hand like it was a scepter, and then they bowed down, and, and, they, and they paid homage to this king, laughing all the way, and, and they, they spit on him, and, and they, they did everything that they could to demoralize him and to rob him of his humanity. It was pure um, cruelty meant to humiliate. And they stripped him naked. Romans always crucified people naked. And they stripped him naked to the, for this first part of their little charade, and then they put his clothes back on him. And later we'll see they stripped him naked again at the cross because, they always, because that was part of the humiliation. Pure cruelty meant to humiliate Jesus. But the reason we're here today, worshiping this same guy we're reading about, worshiping this humiliated subject of the Roman machine is because of how he handled and overcame the cruelty of Rome, the cruelty of man, cruelty of the dark world that we live in. Today, I want us to take a closer look at how he did that, and hopefully it helps some of you to overcome the cruelty you're facing as well. So how did Jesus overcome cruelty and humiliation? Well, first, Jesus overcame cruelty by anticipating it. So Jesus anticipated cruelty without running from cruelty, without running from the pain, he anticipated it. And this is obvious if anybody knows the gospels at all. He's always talking about, guys, guys, disciples, guys, listen, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me, charge me, convict me. Then they're gonna flog me and, uh, and, and they're gonna mock me. 
This is literally in Matthew chapter 20. Mock me, flog me, and crucify me. And the disciples all along were like, no, man. No, you got to stop saying this stuff, dude. This is not what we signed up for. Like, this is, you're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to kick some tail, and we're going to take names, and we're going to take over. That's what we signed up for. And he's like, no, no, you're going to see. Well, why would he repeatedly say these things that his disciples didn't want to hear? It was to prepare them, and maybe even to prepare himself, by anticipating the cruelty that lies ahead. Listen, what this means is we live in a dark world. And what Jesus knew is that people living in darkness will always resist the light of God. And I don't have a persecution complex like, like I guess some preachers and Christians do. I, I kind, of, kind of disgust me sometimes when I hear Christians whining too much, but I'm like, uh, by the same token, I, if I'm sending a kid off to college in the fall, I'm preparing them for a, an inhospitable world because of her or his faith and who she or he claims to follow. The world's not a friendly place for those seeking to shine the light of God, especially the Christian God, for whatever reason in our culture these days. That's enough of the whole persecution thing, but I just wanted, I want to make that clear. We should expect faith-based cruelty. <laughs> but not only that, the world is just a sinful place, and we should anticipate, like Jesus did, uh, things like pain and suffering. We should anticipate people being cruel. And Jesus, that was crazy to me. This week, I just, my mind, I love when, when this happens. My mind was blown by something that occurred to me this week in looking at the ways Jesus anticipated the cruelty that he faced in the passage that we just read earlier. Because he, he also anticipated it, not just by saying, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're gonna beat me up, it's gonna be really ugly. He also anticipated it in some of his other really famous teachings. Like this one, for this is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is probably one of my favorite passages to teach about. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 42, it says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, forgive me, longtime story people. You've probably heard all this before. I'm about to give it to you again because it's too, it, in light of this conversation, it's just too good to ignore. Every time Jesus says these, um, these things, we're so used to making just sugary sweet saccharine sentiment like shirt off your back and you know just turn the other cheek and go the extra mile like we say all these things about people at their funerals because we want to make them sound nicer than they probably really were we said they, they would have done anything for anyone given the shirt off their, like that's how we say it that's not what Jesus is saying like, were you, were you listening critically to the passage as I read it? He's referring to specific things that were happening to his followers. And really random things, unless they were actually happening and his followers knew what he was referring to, it doesn't make sense. If somebody forces you to walk a mile, who does that? Nobody's ever come as walk a mile with me. Like, what? Why? Well, these things were actually happening. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, you have to imagine Jesus reenacting it as he's saying it. Because if someone has slapped you, your right hand is your hitting hand. 
<clears throat> that's true today, but it was especially true in Jesus's world. If your right hand is your hitting hand and, and, and you slap someone on their right cheek, you haven't done this, you've done this. And to do this is not just meant to cause pain, it's, cause, it, it, it's meant to humiliate. You don't just want to hurt them, you want to humiliate them, right? Right? Like we have a name for this, I can't say it at church. Guys, anyone? Okay, and so it's like, it's like we have a bad word name for this because it's meant to insult. That's what Jesus is referring to. He says, when someone does this to you and they hit you on your right cheek, show them the other one, which is to say, don't run away like a coward, but also don't kill them like you kind of want to. Stand, stand up, stand up and face them and say, hit me like a human being, hit me like a man, hit me like we're equals. Close that fist and punch me, right? And so, and so Jesus is, is saying, you know, more than what it seems like. And the same is true with the other two teachings, you know, when he's, when he's talking about giving the, the, um, the shirt off your back. Uh, it's, it's, he says specifically when they sue you. It's a legal thing. This was happening. When they sue you, take you to court, and they take the very clothes you are wearing because you can't pay your debts. This was happening in the unjust legal system uh, in ancient Rome. Poor people suffered the most. And so then he says, if, if, uh, if somebody forces you to walk a mile, uh, well, that uh, was, was also happening in ways that uh, we, we might not um, expect uh, to hear today, but, but it was absolutely um, the case that people, um, specifically Roman soldiers, could legally force non-citizens uh, civilians, like Jesus' followers, to carry their supplies for one mile. But the Romans said no more than one mile, because then it's abuse, <laughs> but just one mile. And, and, and so that was what Jesus was referring to. He says, go another mile with these Roman soldiers who force you to go one mile. That's the whole thing about this very familiar teaching. And what blew my mind this week is that with each of these three teachings about turn the other cheek, the shirt off your back, go the extra mile. Jesus anticipated very specifically the suffering that he would later endure at the hands of cruel Roman soldiers who punched him, not to hurt him, but look, they punched him to humiliate and dehumanize him. They put a blindfold on him and they hit him with the bamboo rod as he was still wearing the crown of thorns. They hit him on the head repeatedly, it said. And then they said, who's doing this to you? You're the prophet. Tell us the name of the one who's doing it. Like it was meant to do more than just physical pain. It was meant to, it was meant to take his humanity away. So, so, so Jesus, Jesus anticipated that. He anticipated, um, you know, the whole thing about taking your... <laughs> Your, your, your shirt off or your coat off after they take your, look, men in Jesus' time had two garments that they wore, the outer one and the inner one. And he said, when they sue you for that outer garment, take the inner one off too. This paints a picture of a follower of Jesus standing in a formal Roman courtroom in his nothing but his birthday suit. It's just, it's intentionally hilarious, but it's also meant to send a message. Jesus is teaching his followers how to shame the shameful acts of others that are meant to cause us shame, but to do so in a nonviolent way. And of course, Jesus knew exactly what it was like to 
stand naked in front of his accusers. He literally hanged on a cross naked before people in the city who would come by and make fun of him. And then, and then the, the last one about going the extra mile, you know, that's uh, the, the image Jesus gives us here is, is one of his followers being forced to carry the pack for a mile. And then when the mile is up, the Roman soldier saying, all right, boy, that'll be enough. And then the dude just keeps going. It's like, no, I'm good, let's go. And the Roman soldier is faced with a dilemma because uh, the, the law of the Roman soldier's life um, uh, demanded that he could be charged with forcing someone to carry his stuff more than a mile. And he could be fined or he, he could be flogged by his centurion or he could be forced to eat barley, nothing but barley for a week. And I don't know which of those three I would choose, honestly. <laughs> they all sound pretty horrible. But when this peasant kept going with his stuff, he had to wonder, is this guy just nice? Is he doing me a favor or is this a threat? Is he gonna accuse me of abusing him? And I'm gonna have nothing but barley to eat for a week. And so it's a total shift in the power dynamic. You have to imagine a Roman soldier without his stuff going, hey, hey man, hey, come back, like please. Like, it's a beautiful image of nonviolent resistance. It's not saccharine, sweet sentimentality where Jesus is like, just be nice, you guys. No, Jesus is like, you don't have to run away from pain. You don't have to reciprocate pain. You can stand firm. You can stand firm and assert your humanity without becoming one of them. All right, so I just covered the first two points in one, really. So Jesus anticipated cruelty without running from it. Jesus absorbed cruelty without becoming cruel. <clears throat> and uh, an important point here, two things real quick. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying, like, oh, disclaimer, preacher disclaimer, this is not, when I say absorbed cruelty, this is not a mandate for people to stay in abusive relationships or to stay in an abusive marriage. I just have to say that because sometimes people hear preachers say this and go, well, I guess I have to stay in this and take my licks. No, 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 that's not it. When we talk about absorbing the cruelty of the world around you, you can do that from another house. All right? It's not the point. It's not the point. The point is to assert your humanity without, without just fleeing as a, as a subhuman, you know, less than person without, without becoming that which you despise. And we see this, how Jesus did this is, is so important for us to see because what Jesus shows us is that while we cannot control the cruelty of others, we can control how it affects us. And you may not be able to change how cruel people are to you. Whether someone is cruel to you is up to them, but whether their cruelty humiliates you is always up to you. Jesus gives you that power to reject humiliation, no matter how cruel the world may seem. And Jesus shows us how. He could not be humiliated Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8 says, In your relationships, have the same mind as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he wasn't high and mighty. Instead, it says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
How did Jesus overcome humiliation even in the face of the worst kind of cruelty? He humbled himself and made himself nothing. The humble man can never be humiliated. And if you struggle with feeling like you want to get revenge or you feel like a victim in the face of the cruelty of the world around you, then pray that God will show you what humility looks like. Pray to be emptied out. Pray to be humbled because once you are humble, you are free. This world can't touch you. And Jesus showed us that. Even if the world destroyed his body, they couldn't touch Jesus. And they couldn't stop him from overcoming in the end. Humility is the antidote to humiliation. Third, Jesus overcame the cruelty of this world and overcame humiliation by absolving it. Absolving it, oof. Now, Jesus absolved the cruelty of the same soldiers who dehumanized him and nailed him to a tree, and he did so in real time. This is a tough one because for some people, especially I have found my manly man friends. My manly man friends are like, that doesn't sound very smart to me. Sounds like he's letting them get away with it, right? Like, how can you absolve cruelty without excusing it or enabling cruelty? Well, uh, we, we look at this in uh, Luke 23, verse 34. And this was after Jesus had been beaten to a pulp and dehumanized, covered in spit and sweat and blood. He took the cross. And even as he took the cross, this is what he said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And even then they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And so this was another thing they always did because the clothes of the executed criminal were like a trophy to whichever soldier won it, okay? But even through that, Jesus forgave. It's, it's almost as if Jesus took the cross, not just for us, but also for them. For the cruelest of cruel, the ones who beat an innocent man and tried to rob him of his humanity. The only innocent man who ever lived was entirely dehumanized by their cruelty, and yet he refused to hold it against them. It's almost like by absolving them, Jesus was, Jesus was somehow shaming their sin, but refusing to condemn their souls. And so he was exposed and, and laid bare for all the world to see, but he refused to let them off the hook for the sin that they had committed. He still said, forgive them because they had indeed sinned by putting him there. You understand? Like to forgive is not just to sweep it under the rug, it is to point out the wrong that has occurred. And Jesus forgave, Father, forgive them. They don't know these sins that they're committing. They don't even know, Father. But by forgiving them, he showed them grace. And grace is really the key to this story. Grace is the only thing I've ever seen change a cruel heart into a contrite one, into a convicted one, and even into a converted one. Because we know that at least one Roman soldier there that day, in the moments after Jesus breathed his last breath, converted and became a follower of this dead man he just killed. Because he said in Mark's gospel, surely this man was the son of God. 
And we know that many of the early Christians, especially those who paid to build the first Christian churches that they're excavating now, were Roman soldiers. That's the power of grace. Only grace can do that. Great sermons can't do that. Great worship music can't do that. Sweeping it under the rug certainly can't do that. But grace always can. And this should be a source of hope for us. Not only because it means that there's hope for that person that's been awful to you, there's hope for that, that, that person that's been cruel to you, not only because they, they might be able to change by the grace of God, but also because there's hope for us. And as painful as this sermon was to prepare, thinking about everything Jesus went through, maybe the most painful part was realizing that if you were to somehow compare the track record of one of those Roman soldiers that day with your pastor's track record, like the whole thing somehow, the stuff Jesus knows and nobody else, and the track record of Jesus, only one would stand out. You hear me? And it ain't mine. It's not the Roman guys. We are much closer together in this comparison. Jesus stands alone. I'm not really that far from the kind of depravity that leads to that kind of cruelty. In fact, we know that it's only someone who's really been hurt that can cause pain like this, like we've all got that in us. Even so, because of the grace of Jesus and the fact that it never runs out, there's hope. I know, it's, I know it's demoralizing to live in a world where everything good seems to run out. Love, patience, gasoline, <laughs> food, I heard we're going to have food shortages. Okay, that doesn't sound fun. God's grace never does. No matter how bad you feel about the things you've done or how cruel you've been, what your track record looks like, there's grace for you today. There's hope. Not because of me or this church, because of Jesus Christ, who was subjected to shame and torment, who was killed and who rose again. You can have that grace today by simply praying or feeling this prayer. I'm about to pray with, it, with you right now. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace that stands apart from our other reactions to the dark cruelty of this world. We don't want to keep running from pain, and we don't want to keep inflicting pain to those in those who've hurt us. We want to follow this third and better way of Jesus, this way of grace, Lord. We receive your grace right now to fill all the gaps and holes in our hearts, our lives, the cracks in our foundations of our souls, to to redeem that which is broken within us and make us whole again, Father, but like only your grace can. We thank you for Jesus who makes that grace accessible to all of us. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.